When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. I know I always say I'm actually really excited for our guests, but I am genuinely excited today. Welcome Kevin Nealon. Wow, I'm excited now too. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Well, you know, it's funny. Whenever I do stand-up somewhere, I, I say I'm really excited to be here in, you know, Oklahoma City or Columbus, Ohio. And I don't really mean it. I'm actually well, disappointed to be there. The joke is, and only three people in America understand, and it's mostly stand-ups. My uh, production company is called Sheboygan. Sheboygan, <laughs> Illinois? Because remember, my mother always say, I used to say to my mom all the time, everyone used to say, where where do you just play? Like, who knows? Sheboygan? So it's <laughs> Sheboygan Entertainment. That's fine. I wouldn't even know how to spell that. It took us a while to figure that out. And, but you just brought it up. You're back to doing stand-up? Well, I've never gone back to it. I've always done it. You know, I've never stopped doing it since I started. Um, you know, even throughout Saturday Night Live and Weeds and all those shows, and movies, I've continued to do stand-up because it's really what I set out to do. You know, it's really all I wanted to be. And, you know, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, and I know this with my mom, no matter if you're a stand-up, no matter what other projects you're doing, nothing beats being on the stage and she's say having that conversation with the audience. Yeah, I mean, it's that immediate gratification where as a movie you know you've got to wait for almost a year before it comes out but you know um i've done a lot of acting but whenever i fill out a form like in a doctor's office where it says occupation i always put down comedian that's really interesting yeah that i what do i put down they would say what are you i'm like entertainment yeah and then i never know what to put down so i just put down host <laughs> yeah. Which is just such like a, you know, I used to write "Girl in a Whirl," but it only amused me. Right, right. But you you just brought it up. You've done everything from stand up to sketch to sitcoms to drama. You have your web series, "Hiking with Kevin," and I, you just answered if you could only do one, which would it be? It would yeah. be stand up. Right, I think it would be. I mean, it's really. I mean, I can never stop doing stand up because it's. It's what I set out to do. It really is. And it's, you know, it's one of my favorite things. And I'm always growing with it. It's never, you know, you know, and just never like stops. Do your kids think you're funny? Well, I only have one kid that I know of, so I don't know what the other kid thinks. Yeah, well, the one. Well, you know, um, my goal in life was to remain the same weight I was like 15, 20 years ago. And somebody told me that you gain two pounds a year as you get older. And I was starting to wonder, because I would watch all, you know, reruns of SNL. And I see myself and I go, wow, I look really thin there, you know, and I was younger, of course. And so to prove my, to myself that 
I haven't gained any weight and I could still fit into those jeans. I went back to an old house that I lived at and I dug up my cat who I buried <laughs> inside of my jeans. Because oh <laughs> he loved those jeans. He was always on my lap. <laughs> so I wrapped him in those. <laughs> and I found those and tried those on. They were a little tight, but I could still close them. You know what? Whatever it takes to get you through the day. Right. And there's no cat because I put some lime in there. Perfect. Yeah. You know? I'm, but I'm glad the jeans survived so that you could have a moment of, you know, uplifting self-approval. Yeah. Yeah. But I- You just brought up, you just brought up SNL. Um. I think everybody found out this weekend, but people don't understand the grind it is. Yeah, it is a grind. A grind that you uh, that dissipates over several years when you realize that the pacing and what, what is involved with the pacing and that it's not a sprint, it's more of a marathon. If you're there for a career, as opposed to there as a stepping stone to you know do something else within the next year or two, you know? Yeah. But I just Ever- like that job. You you disliked it or I liked did, it? I did like it, and yeah. I, because it was a great job. You got to live in New York and to work with all these different hosts and you know musical icons that I grew up loving. You know, I got to meet them all and even have dinner. With them. Who was your favorite guest host? Who did you say? Oh my god, I can't believe I'm working with this person. Well, it was Steve Martin at the time and Bill Murray. But That's there were big. so many of them. Dolly Parton was great. All the crew fell in love with her. Um, there's just so many, Melissa. It's hard to pinpoint one uh, one favorite host. And and same with the musical acts. You know, there was. I grew up listening to James Taylor, so whenever he hosted, I was excited. Um, also, you know, Eric Clapton, Mick Jagger, all these people performed there. Eric Clapton even did a concert afterwards for the studio. Wow. And Paul Simon was there quite a bit. Yeah, I have a couple of friends um, who have worked on the show, and the thing they talk about how cutthroat it was to get your sketches on the air. But they also talked about how during rehearsal, you would sit there and there would be some amazing musical guests, like my friend referenced you too. And you're like, holy shit. I am watching them rehearse and figure their, like, it's such a privilege to get to watch their process. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think it's, if you have a really funny sketch, it's not cutthroat because that sketch will be selected out of all the sketches, you know, the eight to 10 sketches they pick for rehearsal, they'll get. But I understand the, um, you know, the term cutthroat. It's kind of a quiet competition. You know, there's some people that kind of try to manipulate it. Um, like if How? you want to get on weekend update, you know, I've, I won't tell you who, but some people would call the segment producer at home or, you know, call, you know, get go and to see Lorne and try to jockey and, uh, you know, massage their way into getting their piece on Weekend Update instead of the other people. How much control did you have with what went on Weekend Update? I had a lot of control because, um, you know, it was, I was the one in the spotlight. It was my Weekend Update for three years. But also I did other sketches, unlike Dennis Miller, who mostly did Weekend Update. Uh, I was writing sketches and in a lot of sketches. And then you couldn't write any weekend update jokes until late Friday night because all the talk show hosts had covered everything. Right. Right. So Saturday morning I would get up and I get all the newspapers and I try to write jokes. And then I had some 
joke writers out here in LA that I would pay $50 from my own pocket, a joke, if they faxed it into me. And then Lauren Michaels um, hired a specific writer to help me write. And then Herb Sargent had, was, had been there forever. And he was running the weekend segment, you know, the weekend update segment, you know. <laughs> and I remember I'd sit in his office before the show and we go through all the jokes and we, you know, pick the ones. And I knew the jokes he wrote because whenever he read a joke, I go, nah, I don't know about that one. He would say, did you see the picture? You know, he tried <laughs> to sell it. And then Lauren uh, on Saturday mornings, had a catered breakfast up on the 17th floor, the writer's wing. And he would put out all the AP photos on the desk in newspapers because there was no Google at the time. <clears throat> this is the back, back in the 1900s, Melissa. Yes, it was. I, I Believe yes. me, I remember those times. I'm thinking about fashion police and we would have our stack of yeah. printed out photos. So that was to try to entice the writers to come up and write on Saturday morning because nobody really wanted to write weekend update jokes because it wasn't glorifying. Like nobody on Monday morning would say, hey, did you see that joke about Clinton or whatever? You know, they were talking more about, you know, being in a van down by the river, those kind of sketches. Yeah. And so it was hard to get people to write for weekend update. So Lauren put out this catered breakfast and all the newspapers and some of the newer writers would come up, but they weren't that good. And Al Franco would come because he's a political pundit and he always wanted to be the weekend update guy. And uh, Norm McDonald. Did you ever worry he was going to poison your food? No. No. <laughs> Norm McDonald would come up, but just to read the papers and have breakfast. <laughs> he wouldn't write Well, because either. nothing will bring people to the room, especially writers, faster than free food. Yeah, that's because true. All writers act like it's going to be their last meal. Yeah, but it's a continuous meal. They never stop eating it. You know? yeah, but that at least gets them there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That or a swag bag. Oh, well, I'll I'll go through fire for a good swag bag. Isn't that funny? No matter how wealthy somebody is, if you give them something free, they love it. Don't you? Well, I stopped going to those little... Um, Gifting suites? Yeah, because it was all kind of junk and they just took pictures with you and they, to promote their stuff and... You know, they'd sell those big, fancy, big watch. Not sell, but they'd give away those big watches. Yeah. They were really junk, you know. Best swag bag I ever got was from the ESPYs one year. And the best part of it was they gave, like, a stack of Jamba Juice cards. Ooh. And for those of you that don't remember Jamba Juice, it was like Robax. It was like any of those juice places. So I had literally, like, six months of free Jamba juice. That's great. Best I ever got. I'll tell you the best I ever got. It was at the Stunt Words Association. I was a presenter. I don't know why I was a presenter, but those swag bags, I got a mountain bike <gasps> and uh, a couple other things. And then I got a year's pass to that. What's that healthy burrito place? Oh, oh, um, not Chewy's. It's... um. So I know exactly. I think it starts to the B. But anyway, I had a pass to go there for a year whenever I wanted to get Mexican food. <laughs> that was like the is, best. Isn't it, isn't it funny, like what we think of as the best stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to give like it that. back to, I want to talk about Weekend Update for one more second. If it, except for yourself. Well, first of all, what's amazing to me now, and people don't realize it, is when you watch the credits go by, how many writers there are now on the show and specifically on Weekend Update, where you right. had to grind it out and literally pay joke writers. 
I was like um, the old football players in the 40s and 50s where you played both offense and defense. Right? Just wearing a leather, just wearing a leather helmet. Yeah, no cuff. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I only had me and the assigned writer and um, Herb Sargent, who was a segment producer. And then I was doing other sketches, too. So I might have had a sketch on where I really had to produce it and pick out the wardrobe and the set design and cast it, you know, and you really have to follow that your sketch all the way up until showtime and then make changes after rehearsal. So to be doing, you know, weekend update and also Melissa, I would, I would sit down with Herb Sargent and go through the jokes that I liked after rehearsal, the ones that didn't work. I say, let's cut this one. Let's cut that one. Are you sure? And, you know, I know one of them was his maybe. And then we do weekend update and I'd go home and I'd be laying in bed Sunday morning, kind of going over everything in my head. And I realized that he didn't take out certain jokes that I had asked for, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just couldn't pay attention to all that because I was just juggling too many things. Um, of all the projects that you've done, because you've had such a big career and I'm really thinking of like when you transitioned to like weeds, which mm. was such, I mean, I hate the term dramedy or black humor, um, which of the projects are you the most proud of? Which, which is the one that you say nailed it? If you ever say nailed, nailed it. Well, you would be surprised to hear this, but my dream was to become a stand-up comic, to be a successful stand-up comic. I wasn't even thinking about acting. All I wanted to do was stand up. And to get on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson was my dream. So being on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and then getting called over to do panel after my set because he liked me so much, nothing really has surpassed that. I mean, I was floating on cloud nine. I know that story. I know that story from Ahmed. If he likes you, he'll wave you over. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you continue your, your conversation with him and... You get more laughs and then you get all the phone calls and it's kind of um, your dream come true. But also because you longed for it so much, you work so hard to get on there when it's over, there's that, that PTD or whatever it's called, you know, PTSD. Yeah. Cause you're just depressed because that was something you had in your sights for so long. And now what? Well, you've managed to accomplish it. So you've done TV and movies, which are vastly different mediums. Yeah, yeah. Which do I mean, you which do you prefer? Because one is very fast and one is very slow. TV being the faster when you're on a show, you're cranking out an episode basically every week. Or for Weeds, was it like ten days per episode? Oh, no, I think it was about a week. I think. Yet on a movie, you're there for months on end. It, you are, but I will tell you that probably the most aside from that spot I did on tonight's show was Saturday Night Live because, you know, every Saturday it's like a roller coaster and it's all leading up to that. It's like the climax of the week and, and you do one the next week and then the next week and there's a different star there hosting or musical act. And so that was really fun. That was really fun. Uh, and I never uh, dreamed of being on that show because I don't do sketches or characters. You know, I'm just a stand-up, a really, really good stand-up. <laughs> a, a brilliant stand-up. <laughs> um, you've just made a Hallmark movie, Sister Swap, A Hometown Holiday. Explain this to me because it's part one and part two. 
Well, yeah, there's two different versions of the movie from two different points of view because Kimberly Williams, uh, Paisley and Ashley Williams are, are starring in it. And I believe that Ashley wrote it with her husband, Neil, who produced it. And, um, and so the story is about these two sisters and there's a theater called the Madison Theater that I used to own and run. And, um, and I died in the movie. I, I, I worked one day on the film and I died. I don't even know why, how I died. <laughs> That's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, you're just yeah. suddenly like, and here your, here's your script. You're yeah. in one scene and now you're dead. Thank you for playing. Yeah. I, it wasn't even a big enough part for me to come up with a backstory. I was shooting <laughs> for one day and I, <laughs> I just assumed I died like from a heart attack or something. Yeah. No backstory. And, uh, just dead. Yeah. So anyway, the sisters, um, you know, they have all their hallmark mo- moments and it's emotional. And But the gist is to uh, kind of stay in town and kind of redo the theater and bring it back to what it was when I was alive. And kind of just, it's almost like the, you know, it's a wonderful life where Jimmy Stewart stays in town, you know, to help everybody. And, and you don't even what, get you don't get to come back as like a ghost or in a dream sequence. That's the next Hallmark movie. Of course. Of yeah. course. Which I'll watch even though I'm not allowed to be on Hallmark. I have an interesting history with the Hallmark channel myself. Do you really? Um, what did you do? <laughs> I a couple of times did there when they had that daily show, Home and Family. And I know it's hard to believe, but I would get silly. Yeah. And um, it was, sometimes it was live, sometimes it wasn't. And something, one of the times I did it, that was very funny, came out of my mouth that was not very hallmarky. Not that that's a word, I've just made it up. And um, you heard the giant, <sighs> but the host started to laugh. And it turns out that that was day that all the hallmark executives were there. Ooh. Yeah. Right, so, right. <laughs> shockingly, I was never asked back. You know what I really enjoyed watching you on? Oh, God. Uh, aside from the fashion police, was Celebrity Apprentice. Oh, uh, that will mother. never, never stop haunting me. I just love that. I love the drama. I don't know how much of that is set up. And, you know, like I see these reality shows and I know they're doing retakes and, you know, they have different camera angles. Can we get you crossing that log again? You know? Yeah. No, they, it, 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 by the way, hardest, hardest show I've ever worked on. Really? Longest hours, most demanding. People don't, it, it was, it's truly, and I've done some very hard shows and worked live a ton and all the pressure. Hardest show I ever did. Yeah. I'm sure it was very emotional and, it was the Stressful. hours. It was yeah. the hours that were crazy. People think you just come in. We had to be, we were usually in hair and makeup at six, rolling by eight and working until nine, 10 o'clock at night. And then one day off a week. Who else were you on with? Besides my mother. Yeah. And your uh, mother was very protective of you. Right. And I was very protective of her. Yeah. And I think that's what people loved. I, yeah. love, I think people love that kind of dynamic. Um, well, there was Annie Duke, the famous right, you're the a poker, poker player. player. Yeah. <laughs> um, who else? Uh, Herschel Walker. Right. Um, 
God, I can't, I, I can't, I'm completely blanking. Have 100%. you done other celebrity uh, reality shows? Like you ever do Dancing with the Stars? No, I've never done that. I did, did the original I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here because yeah. I traded <laughs> it for a, uh, I got a development deal. Oh, was nice. the bait because I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want oh, to do it. Right. And at the time, the head of that particular network, I don't want to throw him under the bus, came to my agent and said, she will get a development deal out of this. Wow. So I was like, throw me in the jungle. Rock on. Yeah. I got six shows to pitch. Listen, uh- <laughs> I'm very curious. What are you hiding behind that fake bookshelf? Um, boxes because <laughs> I am moving. You are? Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things I've talked to a lot of comedians about this last year is, um, is comedy going to come back? How do, how do comedians, um, navigate this new world? I think the PC stuff has lightened up a little, but I mean, right now we've got a number of people being canceled. How do you, yeah. how do you negotiate that? Do you, I, I found a lot of people, which I think is terribly sad, suddenly self-censoring, which is the worst thing for a comedian to do. Sorry, I went mean, deep on you. Did, well, I, I made a deep turn, didn't I? No, it's almost like you have my house bugged because I just had this conversation with my wife and she's very PC. And I apparently I'm the older generation and I'm not woke enough. Yet. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, I'd done some bits in the past that would not be considered PC now. I mean, it was never like, you know, offensive in, in a way that would, would have got me canceled back then. But it was just, you know, not being up with the times, but I, the times weren't up yet. <laughs> you know, we haven't got there yet. I can't stand when people are canceled for... I'm talking about comedians specifically, bits they did 10, 15 years ago. I mean, yeah. and I'm referencing, obviously, the Kevin Hart at the Oscars. And you want to say that was 15 years ago. The rules were different. He was different. It, it's like every they, they shoved people into these yeah. corners. Like, you aren't allowed to evolve. You're, I know if I was held to the standard of now when I was 22, I mean, I'd be miserable. There should be a statute of limitations, like, you know, with crime. Or whatever, yeah, and it should be maybe two years. Yeah, but how do you negotiate it? I mean, I always think. Well, my act has never been that edgy. You know, mine is a little more silly, but um, you know, and I think about some of the comedians like your mom and Don Rickles. You know, I mean, they would. I mean, especially Don Rickles. I don't know that your mother was ever very offensive to, you know, race. Oh, it wasn't offensive. It was jokes. And trust me, we've had to go through transcripts for different audio recordings that people have asked for and edit the hell out of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, my wife and I had a conversation and she said that it scares her uh, what I might say on stage. And I'm like I said, I'm very milquetoast. You know, I I see other comics that I'm surprised are not canceled by now. You know, with the topics they talk about, but she's very scared that I might say something and be out of the business. But don't you, I mean, I think the hardest thing for comics is you now, nobody knows where, as my mother said, where the line is and self-censoring and questioning 
if something, it, when you know something is funny, can you do it? I don't think you can nowadays unless you want to risk being canceled. But, you know, that's with regular people, too, that aren't even comics. You have to self-censor. Yeah. And then that's, I I mean, it is, it's, it's not like it was before where, you know, you are more of a shock comedian. Like there aren't that many shock comedians anymore because of the politically correctness of, you know, the world now. So I think it's harder for some than others. Like I said, for me, I never really got got into that kind of comedy. You know, I wasn't the venting comic or the angry comic. I was just the more of a, you know, dim-witted kind of, (laughs) you know, I like more of the Steve Martin kind of stuff, you know. I need a pair uh, of cat handcuffs and I need them fast. Yeah, Andy Kaufman I loved. Mm -hmm. You know, I love to fool the audience. Into thinking that you're one person, but you're not. Um, no, more of the uh, the bits that I'm doing, like misdirection stuff. Oh, you know, always the funniest when suddenly everything goes left and you think you're going right. Yeah, because I think that's what comedy is. It's kind of like verbal magic. It's misdirection, you know, where they think you're going one way, but then at the end you turn, you know, <laughs> and suddenly the rubber chicken gets thrown across the stage. Like, you know, Stanley Myron Handelman, he was a comic from Long Island, you know, a Jewish comic. And he was one of my favorites. He was great at misdirection. He would talk about, you know, one time this guy came out of the bar and he has on the, uh, he used a, a stick for a crutch and he found this bottle on the side of the road by the gutter and he rubbed it and a genie came out and the genie said, you have one wish. What's it going to be? And just like that, his walking stick turned into a real crutch. <laughs> you know, so that, that kind of misdirection. Or he said, you know, somebody broke into our house and they ransacked everything and, you know, they broke the windows and they left the butter out, you know, all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> well, it's like a guy walks into a bar with a duck on his head. Bartender, like, they look at the bartender, duck, duck turns and said, hey, buddy, can you get this guy off my ass? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's a lot of the comedy uh, that a lot of people are doing. And it's hard to be politically incorrect with that kind of stuff. Uh, before I let you go, I love hiking with Kevin. Thank you. Is How did that start? I mean, you said you like to stay active and you want to stay fit. Yeah, yeah. How, well, what what I, you, uh, how did I that love, start? I love to hike in the canyons around L.A. And, you know, when I say hike, it's more walking. And there's some Meander. inclines. Yeah, meander, strolling. And I call my friend Matthew Modine and I say, Matt, you want to go for a hike? He goes, sure. So we're hiking up to Mescal Canyon. It's really steep, uh, the loop. My hikes, by the way, have gotten flatter and flatter as I get older. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and some, some people I walk with, they're flatliners, I call them. They don't want any hills. Like David Spade. <laughs> David Spade was one. Bobcat Gulfweight showed up with a cup of coffee. You know, so I know. It sounds like those guys. I couldn't imagine Spade going up to Maskell. Nor, no, nor, no. nor, nor Bobcat. No. So I was hiking with Matthew Modine, and we were getting up near the top, and we we're both sucking wind, and we're talking, catching up on things. And, you know, we could barely understand each other. And I said, this would be funny if this was an interview. So we did like a little comedy bit. and I recorded it on my cell phone, just holding it in my hand. And, uh, and it was funny. And then on the way down the other side of the canyon, I started asking him some more serious questions like, do you have any regrets, Matt? 
And he rolled his eyes. He goes, oh, my God, I turned down so many movies after Full Metal Jacket. I said, what did you turn down? He goes, well, I turned down the role of Tom Hanks in Big. I turned down uh, the Michael J. Fox role in Back to the Future. Um, you know, Charlie Sheen and Wall Street. And um, there was one other one. And I, and I said, you idiot. And we both <laughs> laughed. And then I posted that on, on, I guess it was Twitter at the time. And I would post these little two-minute segments. And then I thought this would be a good weekly thing. So I started calling all my friends and started hiking with them. And then I ran out of friends. So I put together a letter and I'd send it to their publicists, you know, whoever I wanted on or their agent. And some people would do it and others wouldn't. Well, and I learned and- some people have no problem just saying no for no reason. They won't give you an excuse. They'll just say, no, I don't want to do this. Larry David, I asked him if he would do it. He goes, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and I said, okay. Not surprising. <laughs> yeah. I'm the kind of guy who would like have a full page of why I don't want to do it. And I would love to do it, but I can't because of this or that. Oh, trust me. I know both sides of that completely. Yeah. But I, but I like doing that hiking show because people are very revealing when they're outside and they're walking. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's being one with nature or something, or there's no audience. And I, it's just me. And I have, now I've kind of gotten more advanced. I have a selfie stick and I have a GoPro at the end of it. And I also bought a drone. So I fly Wow. And then I edit it on Premiere uh, Pro when I get home. So it's become a whole industry. <laughs> All being run out of your house. Yeah, but I haven't done one in, a, in two years because of the pandemic. And uh, and now I'm just kind of thinking again. And also, I, I've been painting a lot. I see some of my paintings uh, Let me see. on the wall. They're kind of caricatures. Wow. Letterman and Tom Petty. And uh, there's Jennifer Aniston. And uh, Wow. Are you going to, do you ever get, ask, request, get requests to auction some of those off? Yeah. Yeah. I've done a few of those, but also I got, <clears throat> I got a book deal recently and my deadline is actually in 10 days. I have to finish two and a half more paintings <clears throat> and the book is being published by Abrams. It'll be out next September. And I'll have about 57 paintings, caricatures of different people. And, and then an antidote on the opposite page about my experience with that person or something funny that happened. Or if I don't know them, like Freddie Mercury, I'll just muse about you know, being a rock star or the first concert I ever went to. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait for that. Um, I can't thank you enough. I'm sure this will go on down in your history as one of your least favorite interviews. No, this is like my favorite project so far now. It it supersedes uh, The Tonight Show. Oh, of course. Why wouldn't it? Yeah. Kevin, I, I got to get one of those backdrops with the shelves. You have to, I'm telling you. And by the way, you you can pick different things. They have like windows with trees outside. They have nice. all different stuff. They're qu- and by the way, got it on Amazon. My wife got a white brick wall one and then another one that's blue, kind of like a tie-dye blue. <clears throat> but I'd like to get a bookshelf, but I want to get like specific things instead of just books. Just awards. Just awards. Maybe fake awards. That would be good. Maybe fake books that I've written. You know how when you see these newscasters on these news shows like CNN, they have their book that they wrote behind them. Yeah. You know, properly displayed so you could see it. Yeah. I, I, I think my publisher for my new book would probably like it if I just taped it on. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. You could just kind of maybe... Yeah, tape it on or cut a hole out. Yeah, and stick it in there. Because I, like I said, my new book is coming out in May. So. What's it called? 
lies my mother told me. Oh, perfect. And is it a picture of you on the cover? Tall tales from a very short woman. Hold on. I'll get the, I'll get it for you. Hold on. Oh, you got the the artwork already? Yeah. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. Amuse my audience, please. I'm going to sign some contracts here. Um, Melissa has very busy. She's got a podcast. She's written a book. (laughs) <laughs> and she's probably doing other things. She gets kicked off the Hallmark. Exactly. She's a busy gal. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I was hoping it'd be her on the cover. Yeah. That, Lies my good. mother told Lies me. Tall- my mother t- I would read that. And then on the bottom, it says a warning. It has a warning. Uh, a work of nonfiction with the non crossed out. <laughs> <laughs> I remember she came to see me. I was doing the lounge at Caesars Palace in Lake Tahoe. And she was doing the main room. And on the way back, she was nice enough to stop in the back with her little dog. I forget which Spike. dog it was. Spike, yeah. And she watched. And afterwards, she, she said, oh, you're very good. You're very good. You're Aww. so funny. And then I went on the Tonight Show with her when she was the host. There you go. God, we're, yeah. we're, we're not just neighborhood companions. We're, we're so connected. And she has told me many lies. You know what? I have a book full of them. Wow. You know? Wow. That's evidence right it there. It is. Kevin, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, for taking your thing.